there's no one right path to success. There are definitely some things that don't work. I've observed that. But I also know that there are a, a portfolio of practices that really make the difference when they're employed for brands that are looking to make those kinds of transformations. Learn modern marketing that you can use to grow your business in today's competitive landscape. This is Digital Marketing Masters with Matt and Carrie Rouse. Welcome to Digital Marketing Masters. I'm your host, Matt Rouse. Howard Tierski is my guest today. Howard, how are you? Awesome. Thanks for having me, Matt. Hey, I'm glad to have you on the show. And Howard is the Wall Street Journal bestselling author of Winning Digital Customers, The Antidote to Irrelevance. He's the founder of two companies that enable large brands to win the digital world from the Digital Transformation Agency and Innovation Loft. Howard, can you tell us a little bit more about what you do and uh, maybe tell us a little bit about your book, too? Of course. Happy to. Well, what I've been doing for the last, I, I dare say, over two decades is working with mostly large brands on how they can adapt, change and transform to be successful in a digital world. And of course, that digital world has become only more and more profound and important during that period that I've been doing that kind of work. And uh, for the last 13 years, I've been running my own my own company and we work with companies like Davis Budget Group, J.P. Morgan Chase, Airbus, Schubert Organization, Barnes & Noble, A&E Television, all on very interesting, different challenges, but all with the common theme of the world is changing rapidly and what do they need to do so they can absolutely do the very best job possible creating value for their customers and other constituents as their needs change. Perfect. So what made you decide, you know, I need to get this into a book for other people instead of, you know, kind of keeping that information in-house? Yeah. Well, you know, I've been publishing and writing and doing videos and other things for many, many years. And so I, I had this desire, I guess, like so many people, you know, like get it, get it into a book so it would be more accessible for people who just really wanted the sort of beginning to end. I so often found myself referring people to different articles on different topics that I'd written on different parts of the process, whether it was on customer research or on creating journey maps or on using agile or design thinking or organizational change or storytelling to pitch digital transformation or all these different topics. So uh, it was really a, a kind of passion project of mine to be able to figure out how do we take all this information and make it into one kind of a blueprint guidebook, whatever you want to call it, that any company could follow. I feel like there's so many great brands that preexisted the digital world and which now are struggling to catch up. And because that's exactly what I've been doing for the last 20 years is working with those brands. I feel like there's a, there's no one right path to success. There are definitely some things that don't work. I've observed that, but I also know that there are a, a portfolio of practices that really make the difference when they're employed for brands that are looking to make those kinds of transformations. So I was excited to try to pull it all together in one place so that any, any company or any person at a company from a senior executive down to just someone in the trenches would have a reference tool they could look to to say, here's a set of proven techniques with sufficient detail that you could actually do them. You know, it's not a book of theory. There's a little theory because it wants to make sure there's context, but most of it is, here's how you do it. Here's how you come up with ideas. Here's how you understand your customer's needs. Here's how you think about your brand. It's meant to be a tool book to help people get work done every day in the process of getting their company to really be set up for success in this changed world. So you mentioned that there's, there's some things that companies do that don't work. What's an example of something that doesn't work? Well, I mean, one thing that doesn't work is, is coming up with ideas in a way that's disconnected from really understanding what your customer needs. Sometimes we can fall in love with our own ideas. You know, you come up with something and it sounds cool 
and you want the fruits of your imagination to become real. And so you focus everybody on making something happen. But if it's not connected to a real insight to a customer needs that drives business results, well, it's quite likely to just be kind of one of those, you know, innovation theater type projects that might make a cool demo, but isn't necessarily going to drive your business forward. And I think that unless that's your goal, you know, just to have a cool demo, but usually it's not, then that's one path I know to, to failure. And another path is to be focused too much on technology. I think a lot of companies, uh, you know, it's funny, I was being interviewed for a podcast or something that a large technology company who I won't name was doing. And so they brought me in as a digital transformation expert or whatnot, and they were interviewing me. And at one point the, the interviewer said, so what do I think are the most important things to think about when doing digital transformation, AKA cloud migration? And I was like, what, you know, to their mind, they were a technology company, you know, digital transformation was about some kind of a technology change. And I think that while technology is, of course, a critical enabler, it's not about that. It's not about, well, all we have to do is upgrade SAP. That's our digital transformation. No, digital transformation is about making the way you serve your customers from the sales process all the way through whatever the fulfillment of whatever your business does more effective for today's customers who are living a digital lifestyle. And that doesn't start with technology. It may end with technology as an implementation tool. But if you start by thinking about this as a technology process, you're almost doomed to fail. Do you have an example of a company maybe that had the ability to make that change, but was unable to for whatever reason, or they didn't do a good job of it? Yeah, I mean, there are so many, you know, and I'll, I'll talk about one from my own experience, but I mean, why didn't MTV become iTunes? You know, you know, why, why didn't, and, uh, you know, why didn't Blockbuster become Netflix? You know, there's so many, so many companies. Why didn't um, Sears become Amazon? I mean, Sears was the innovator who in the catalog days of, of direct to customer shipping stuff directly to your house that they were, they became one of the largest companies in the United States based on the insight that people wanted stuff shipped directly to their house. But now they're, you know, obviously a, a marginalized player at best. So yes, I think there are many examples of that. And uh, one that I talk about in my book and that I was personally involved in was Blockbuster. Consider that one of the great personal failures of my career. Obviously it was decades ago, but I was part of a team of consultants that was brought in to develop the great next vision for Blockbuster when they were very near the peak, maybe they were just a little past their peak. There were signs of troubles, but they still had however many thousands of stores. They were still way larger than Netflix. They were still considered a, a giant. And, uh, you know, it wasn't hard to figure out the direction to go, that streaming to the home was going to be critical, that creating great user interfaces for people to find content, you know, in a much better way than walking around a store and looking at boxes, which was the old way people found content. And, uh, and there were super smart, creative people at Blockbuster who were totally on board with that. And it wasn't like the company didn't see what was coming. But like so many large enterprises, there was all kinds of resistance to adapting and changing so that even though there were certainly many people there who saw what needed to be done, they weren't powerful enough or persuasive enough. And I'll include myself. I wasn't powerful because I was an outside consultant being paid. But, you know, it was all of our jobs to persuade that organization to take the steps necessary to fulfill their potential destiny of maintaining leadership in home entertainment. And, you know, and, and we screwed it up. We failed. We had a vision that was great, I think. And I only say that because it looks a lot like the leaders today. So there was something right about the vision, but our failure was in understanding or failing to understand the level of resistance we would face. I do a lot of work with Tony Robbins. And one of the things that he says is that the strongest force in the human personality is the need to stay consistent with how you define yourself. 
And I think that's true for companies as well. And when you're dealing with a company that sees itself as, you know, Kodak, we're a film company, digital cameras, they're the enemy or a blockbuster. You know, we're a store company. We're about getting people into the store, you know, a, a new way of delivering entertainment that doesn't require a store. Well, when the people running the company are retail store people whose whole career is focused on square footage and how you make a retail store effective in their mind, it's all about how do you fight against this trend rather than how do you embrace it? And, and, and I think that's why so many companies fail to make the leap to the next generation of how to deliver the core value proposition. And again, you asked about examples, so many examples, how, you know, Western Union could have bought the telephone for pennies on the dollar. And, you know, you hear these stories all the time because companies just lack the imagination or lack the flexibility to adapt to the next big thing. Absolutely. You know, the, the blockbuster example, I mean, a lot of people use it, but a lot of people don't understand how kind of net Netflix kind of put their foot in the door and in, in that market and, and built their way up. And that blockbuster was sort of kind of like Kodak was addicted to film. I mean, Kodak invented most of the digital camera patents and stuff, right? I mean, they had it in the 70s kind of thing. And they weren't able to to wean themselves off the 80, 90% margin of film, right? Whereas Blockbuster, they made almost all of their money off late fees, right? That was their profit was late fees and, and selling candy at the counter, right? That's right. At the point in time that I started working with them, they'd already taken this step of eliminating the late fees, which was, of course, very challenging for their business, but necessary because it was a major point of customer pain. And so what was left was exactly that. What was left was the high margin candy and butter, you know, buttered popcorn in a, in a bucket kind of things. And I remember being in meetings at Blockbuster presenting this vision of what we were trying to advocate as the future of the company. And I often heard, and it became one of those like catchphrases, you know, sure, people will stream movies to their home, but you can't stream candy. And if you can't stream candy, then, you know, our business model is broken. Therefore, in fact, I remember even sometimes people looking at me there, like I just didn't understand their business. I just, you know, this was a clueless thing to think that we would want this to move toward streaming video to the home because dude, candy, what about the candy, you know? And, you know, like now look at Netflix today, you know, I, you can scour their annual report. There's no revenue line for candy. Like there is another way. But again, you know, like you say, I think the word addicted is good. I remember years ago, it's probably 15, 20 years ago now, Jeff Zucker at NBC bemoaning trading analog dollars for digital pennies. It's like when you, when your business model is too disrupted, it becomes scary to, to make that leap, which is why sometimes it takes a new company. And Netflix did a good job of understanding the pain, what was great about having DVDs in your home and the pain associated with it, which included having to go to the store and late fees. And they came up a model with a model in their initial model, right before they did streaming that eliminated the pain that customers experienced by the traditional video store model. And, but then they also did something which most companies will not ever do, which is they, they switched from one model to a completely different model. And they didn't do it without some glitches along the way, but, but still, you know, and, and you look at someone like an Apple, Apple came out with the iPod, which was this super successful product. And then one of the things threatening it was phones that were starting to, to incorporate the ability to play uh, music. And they jumped on that and they were completely willing to cannibalize their own product and make one of their most successful products ever, the iPod, largely unnecessary by focusing on phones. And it wasn't a foregone conclusion that their phone would be the leading phone. So that's 
what's necessary in times that are so rapidly changing like ours. But there are many more companies like Kodak and Blockbuster than there are companies like like Apple and Netflix. That's right. And, you know, there's like a hindsight, you know, to places like like Blockbuster. You can say, well, yeah, they should have streamed movies. But I don't think that was the answer. And you may or may not agree with me on this one. And I don't think I've ever had this conversation with anybody. So this is going to be an interesting one. But I think that Blockbuster was positioned to make a business model better than Netflix. And what they could have done is they could deliver the movies to your house in hours instead of mailing DVDs to you, right? Because that's where Netflix was coming up, right? Keep to get the DVDs mailed to your house. Blockbuster could have delivered it to you and delivered candy. And then they could have moved that like model. A, like a Domino's type model. Right. And then they could have been delivering, you know, who knows what else they could have delivered. It could have been, you know, collector's items and all this kind of stuff because they had the stores. They could cut their retail footprint in half easily or not more, you know, or switch those kind of retail footprints into, you know, areas that don't have forward customer facing places, like kind of the difference between a restaurant and a commercial kitchen, right? They could have the stock of DVDs and stuff in there so that they could ship them, plus all the candy and all the crap, and they could put it online or into an app, right? So they could have built the model that was kind of Netflix 2.0, and they could have murdered that Netflix, right? They could have just blown them out of the water, and no one has done that yet. Well, of course, that's the kind of model we're seeing now from Instacart, right, and others that are in that space, the home, you know, and and yeah, possibly. I mean, I, I, I think it... By this point in time, we would inevitably have been not not wanting physical DVDs for the purpose of playing movies. So I think that that might have been a successful strategy back at that point in time. By now, it still would have had to transition. But yeah, it would be a transition strategy, right? You know, for that matter, you could ask, why didn't Domino's become Instacart? You know, is, now Domino's is a successful company. But if you think about what their next level could have been, now Amazon could have stuck with books, you know. Why, why didn't Domino's take their delivery infrastructure and say, hey, listen, people don't want to have pizza every night. You know, why don't we take our amazing delivery capabilities and start opening it up the way that Amazon said, hey, we're great at creating a browsing experience and reviews and, and even warehousing and fulfillment. Let's let anybody sell their products in our store. And now Amazon makes more off the Amazon marketplace than they do off products that they actually merchandise themselves. You know, why wouldn't someone like a Domino's turn around and, and, and do the same type of thing and say we have delivery capability? And, and uh, you know, of course, it's easy to, to armchair this, right? Would Blockbuster have been successful? You know, obviously, you have, to, you have to get to the math, right? Well, what's the cost? What would the cost of those deliveries have been? Would it have made sense? Would have people have paid the bill, et cetera? Instacart obviously benefited enormously from COVID where people were willing to pay because they needed the delivery. I think that this is the biggest problem that companies have. You know, I was hearing recently... I think I heard it on someone else's podcast. So unfortunately, I can't attribute this. But the story of 7-Eleven. Have you ever heard the history of 7-Eleven? No, not completely. Yeah. Just the the short version is 7-Eleven started off not as under the name 7-Eleven, but they were an ice company in the era when everyone had an ice box and needed, you know, like a big cube of ice to go in the ice box. And so their business was ice and they, they offered pickup. So you could go into their ice warehouse or whatever else and you could go get your ice. That was their business. And then they realized at a certain point that, you know, we have this massive refrigeration because we have this huge amount of ice, our inventory. We might as well stock things like milk and eggs and other things that need to be kept cold because we have this giant refrigerator just by virtue of the fact that we're storing all this ice. And so they invented the convenience store almost as a side business to their main business, the ice business. 
And that started to become successful. And then, of course, at a certain point, nobody needed ice anymore, right? Electric refrigeration came along and they changed their name to 7-Eleven and they focused on, I mean, I think you can still buy ice at a 7-Eleven actually now that I think about it, but it's clearly not... (laughs) Really not their main business, right? And and so and but this is a business that you know obviously completely changed their focus and found took something that was a small part of the business and magnified it to become the main business. And at a certain point, you know, changed their name to Seven Eleven to reflect their hours and all that. But uh, you know, to that type of adaptation, another company that I'm hugely um, admiring of is Verizon. If you think about all the baby bells and what it, what became of them. You know, Verizon made the transition from landlines. And I think they might still have some landlines, but imagine if, if a company had said, well, we're the landline business, you know, we're not going to get into all this mobile cellular stuff, you know, come on now, we're landline people, hardcore wires. We're about the wires, you know, where would you be for a company that took that mindset versus going with telecommunications and seeing the broader opportunities around fiber optic and delivering television and of course, mobile and now Verizon is in the media business. And this is a company that really has adapted and shaped themselves to the opportunities of the times. And well, I think that's how you run a business that lasts for decades or centuries. And they got a bargain on Yahoo. I have no idea how Yahoo took their $50 billion advantage and flushed it down the toilet because I haven't gone back to research that. But Verizon picked that up for pennies on the dollar and they've already double or tripled their investment on it. And they're, it's, I think Yahoo is, I mean, it's never going to be what it was kind of thing. It's never going to be the homepage of the internet again. Right. But I think there's some big stuff coming between the Verizon Yahoo, you know, merger, right. And, uh, or purchase, whatever you want to call it. Well, just within Yahoo, just particular like Yahoo sports, Yahoo sports. If you had nothing else, just Yahoo sports and Yahoo finance, you know, there's like a couple of things there and there might be some other areas. And obviously you have Tumblr, which has challenges, but obviously has, you know, huge audience. And so, yes, I think I think there's some tremendous properties there and a huge opportunity for them. So, I mean, it's nice to talk about all these ones, but if a company is, I mean, at this point, it's 2021. If they haven't done at least some digital transformation, they're probably already broke, Right. For the most part, I don't know if that's 100% true or not, but if a company is having difficulty, maybe they're losing market share to a new competitor or a lot of tiny competitors, you know, what's kind of the first steps to, you know, realizing that they, they need some serious change? Well, um, in my book, I talk about a five-step process for digital transformation. And the first step is to understand your customer. And the most important thing you can understand about your customer is why are they buying or not buying? And what are their points of pain? Because the greatest opportunity to differentiate is by figuring out how to create something that solves a problem for the customer that your competitors are not solving within whatever domain you're in, whether it's home movies or transportation or plumbing or whatever it may be. You know, I think that Uber did that brilliantly when they, you know, people already had tax cabs and other things. And obviously that industry wasn't undergoing rapid transformation and Uber realized that there were certain points of pain with the traditional taxi cab or car service experience. And if you could just push a button on your phone and one would pull up and then when you got to your destination, you could just get out. You didn't have to worry about paying, you know, all of a sudden this made a better, more differentiated experience. And obviously it exploded and then copycats came along and now we see you know a number of companies like Lyft in that space as well. And uh, so I think, you know, it's never too late you know, it's never too late to to change. And I think the opportunity, and depending on the industry you're in, you may or may not be broke because some industries have been more slow moving than others. Some customer bases have been more slow moving than others. 
So I think if you're, if you're in that situation, it's the opportunity to, okay, say, start from now. And most, most organizations have some digital, right? Everyone's got a website. Everyone's got something. But to really start fresh and ask the question, if we were going to truly and fully rightfully take our place in the digital world, if we were to be a preferred choice to what I call digital customers, you know, I call my book Winning Digital Customers because I feel like the task for any business today is not to be digital, but to appeal to a customer base that's living a lifestyle with digital at the center. And so that does mean being digital in some ways. Of course, you have to have apps and, and websites and chatbots and all these types of things or many of them. But it also means thinking through the whole customer journey and saying, if I have customers who are living a lifestyle with digital at the center, what do I need to do to make myself a preferred choice? For example, let's take someone like Taco Bell. I don't know about you, but when I'm hungry, well, I mean, to be perfectly blunt, I don't eat a Taco Bell. But let's just pretend for a moment that I wanted food from Taco Bell. But everybody likes tacos. so Yes, but, but nobody wants a digital taco. Right. That's not what Taco Bell needs to do to appeal to a digital customer. Unless it's in an NFT. What's that? <laughs> Unless it's an NFT. NFT that's a whole with... nother story. The <laughs> okay. non-fungible oh, token. Oh, a token. Right, right. <laughs> oh, but even then, even then, what do you do with that? <laughs> hey, what do you do with it? That's the question everybody has. Exactly. So not everything is solved digitally, but here's what Taco Bell is doing. And I think this is a good example of what I'm talking about. They are now building out their quick service restaurants with two drive through lanes. One of which is a traditional drive-through lane for someone who wants to roll up down the window, go, hmm, let's see, I'll have a burrito with cheese and, you know, whatever. And the other for people who've already placed an order on the app, their order is already ready and they're just pulling up and all they need to do is grab the bag and go. Those people don't want to be in line while their food's getting cold behind somebody who's trying to figure out whether to have a, what the difference between a tostada and an empanada is or whatever. So that's a very physical, you know, that involves bulldozers and, you know, asphalt. And, you know, this is not a digital solution but it's reshaping your business for a digital world. And I think that there's probably an analogy like that in almost every business. And as companies become more intelligent about how to appeal to the needs of these digital customers, these are the ones that are going to be winners. And if you're starting from scratch, well, the nice job, the nice thing is you have a nice blank canvas to start and say, how do I leapfrog those that are ahead of me by taking what I know from now from 2021 and saying, how would I rebuild my company from scratch if I was rebuilding it? new today to meet the needs of today's digital customers. That's right. You know, it's a good example of that. As uh, when I lived just outside of Portland, Oregon, you know, just a few months ago, the Starbucks that was at my house, they just put these signs up in the first three parking spots that had one, two, and three on them. And it said for digital orders. And they changed their ordering system on the app so that once you got the app, instead of just going to the counter or through the drive-through, it said, would you like to use a, a pickup option, right? Curbside pickup option. And it said, which parking space are you in? One, two, or three? And you would just push the button one, and then you'd park in spot one, and the person would bring your stuff out to you and you'd leave. And you didn't have to wait through the 10-car lineup, right? It was brilliant. I used it endlessly. Even when they stopped testing it, I was like, ah. Oh, no, bring it back. I even wrote them an email. I was like, you have to bring this back. It saves me five minutes a day. And they did, which was nice, but probably not because of my email. But Starbucks has been masterful at, at incorporating the digital and physical experiences together. And think of all the benefits they get. First of all, they're taking payments now digitally, even for things you're picking up physically, which saves the time of their people in the store. So their staff can focus on just making the drinks and not on running the cash register. Also, they have a much higher percentage of identified customers, normally at a Starbucks, 
they try with a loyalty program, but a huge percentage of people would walk up and order a coffee and they'd never know who you are and all that. Now they have a much better knowledge of who their most valuable customers are and they can reward them and motivate them and market to them based on their past. But not only they know your most valuable customer, but they know if you think about a punch card in the old Starbucks days, you know, they didn't necessarily know what you ordered. Right now, they have an amazing database. They know who you are. They know how often you come. They know which locations you come to. They know what you order. And of course, that gives them enormous power in terms of being able to market more effectively to you. So in addition to being great for the customer, this is fantastic for Starbucks. And it's another example of something which, you know, unlike, say, a travel agency or something, which can become or a bank, which can become nearly a totally digital customer experience. Clearly, these need to be hybrid experiences, but the digital transformation can make all the difference in the world. And you, everybody preloads their Starbucks card to make it even faster. And that gives the company a free, no interest loan of all their own customers' money to open more stores. Even more benefits. Which is brilliant. I mean, out of everything the Starbucks app does, that's probably the smartest part is look at all the free money we get to use, you know? And it's just like the whole thing's amazing. They even had, and I, I don't think very many people use it, but you could connect your Starbucks app to your Amazon Alexa. And then you could tell it to order your coffee and you could be like, okay, order my coffee likes and it makes your order for you and takes the money out of your account automatically in your Starbucks app. And you just drive down, pick it up. It was, I used to use that all the time until they had the ordering at the door. Then I was like, okay, I'm going to use the app to order. Cause saving time is a digital, I'm a hundred percent a digital customer, right? I will do anything to save that extra minute or two of time. You know, as long as I can still get whatever the thing is that I wanted. You know, I, I use self-checkout if I can, you know, I, I'll use the app to get stuff. I don't like using, you know, paper punch cards or something like that, filling my wallet up with royalty cards from 50 stores. Yeah, who wants that? I remember, you know, sometimes people have the keychain with like 50 different of those little knobs with barcodes. I'm just like, you're, you're, you're creating you know, annoyance, nuisance, friction, whatever you want to call it for the customer. So absolutely. I mean, convenience is key. I think one of the things I talk about in my book is at one point we did a study and looked at all the most successful companies in the digital age. And we were looking for what are the most common threads? What are they, what are they all doing in common? Because of course every company does some things that are unique, but what are the, what are the through lines? And we found three. One of them was hyper convenience. The companies that are doing the best, just like you said, are making the experience as convenient, which means low effort for the customer. The second is proactive personalization. They're using the information they're gathering to put offers in front of you and also to make it more convenient because if they know what you like, you know, Domino's knows what kind of pizza you like. Starbucks knows how you like your cappuccino. So you don't have to tell them every time making personalizing it for you, which adds convenience and it also allows, allows them to more effectively market to you. And then lastly, a value shift, giving you more for less. And as all these digital capabilities allow Starbucks to market to you less expensively because they can target better, serve you less expensively because, for example, they don't have to run the cash register in the store. The company is saving money. They can choose to either put some of that money to the bottom line or use some of that money to offer, actually give you as a customer more for less, whether that's a loyalty program that gives you one out of every five coffees free or some other kind of value. And uh, when you combine those things together, that becomes something that's very hard to beat competitively. And it's especially hard to beat if you're not a really digitally driven company, because so many of these things are very difficult to do if you don't have that strong digital infrastructure. And, you know, another side of that is kind of the back end of their business. They can, you know, improve their supply chain. They can do better estimating. There's all these advantages that you get doing that. And, you know, for smaller businesses, you know, and maybe not like mom and pop shop, 
sized businesses, but, you know, smaller than Starbucks, right? There's still a massive amount of innovation just sitting out there waiting, you know, for companies to take advantage of. And, you know, working in digital marketing myself and, and you know, I've done about 170 interviews of digital marketing people around the world at this point, right? Everywhere I go, you just see it everywhere you go. Like you walk into a store and you're like, well, how come I had to jump through this hoop to purchase this thing from you? You know, we were helping somebody in the real estate business. They had to do some work with the MLS system. And it was like physical paperwork. Like we had to get it, print it, manually sign it, scan it, send it to it. It was almost like using fax machines. I was like, what? what decade are we in that I'm still using this paper system to do this thing that could have been done in 45 seconds where it automatically digitally sent the document to every party involved, highlighted where they need to sign it. They click the button that digitally signs it. It sends it back, puts the document back together, approves it, sends us the credentials we need automatically instead of the now three months it's taken to get this paperwork done and approved. And we still don't have the logins we need. Like it's just insane. Well, and what's so wonderful for, for small and medium businesses is now there are so many platforms like that. You know, you don't need to be a large enterprise and build your own solution. And you can use DocuSign for contracts. You can use Facebook for advertising. You can use eBay or Shopify to sell things. You know, you can use if you're a if you're a mom and pop uh, restaurant, for example, you, you're going to sign up with a Grubhub or Instacart or, you know, other other Uber Eats, you know, all these different platforms that are charging, of course, and they're making money themselves. But there are also ways to digitally transform a business without that company needing to sit there and say, oh, well, I'm a small business. How, how would I be able to do these things? Well, there's platforms you can hop on and very often give you all kinds of new capabilities. Imagine the impact on the restaurant industry to have any restaurant be able to just sign up with multiple services to market their themselves as a, as a home you know, delivery option and to have someone who's going to come and deal with logistics. I think there's restaurants that have massively increased their revenue just because they've gone from having nearly zero, even COVID aside, nearly zero delivery business to that being a sizable portion of their of their revenue. Right. And, you know, there's in that marketplace, there is still huge gaps in, you know, between especially kind of rural uh, area restaurants and businesses, which I mean, still make up about almost, you know, a fifth of the entire economy of any country is the rural areas. And, you know, the restaurants don't even have a website, you know, or like there's no delivery or there's no Uber driver. There's no Uber Eats. There's no, you know, Instacart or anything. Right. But that doesn't mean that your restaurant can't take advantage of like those kinds of technology or services. There's lots of other systems out there, smaller ones made for smaller systems that can be used for small businesses, too. What do you think the biggest like what do you think is is the biggest change coming up for companies that maybe a lot of companies don't have on their radar yet well i know it's kind of a tough future future looking but yeah you know i think i i guess one of the things you know it's funny every year my my pr guy always says you know there's all these companies that want quotes, all these, you know, like Fast Company and other magazines. What's the big new thing for the new year? You know, what's the hot digital trend for the next year? And, and of course, there are always new things. AI and machine learning are becoming increasingly important. And in some industries, drones or new uses of 3D printing are creating all kinds of possibilities. So, of course, there's all kinds of interesting technologies out there. But honestly, I think it can be a little bit of a red herring because I think that for most businesses, the application of what's already there 
is much greater business potential than trying to figure out what's some sort of cool new thing that's that's sort of in earlier stages of, you know, ra- rather than focusing on the augmented reality app, are you maximizing Facebook advertising? You know, are you, are you taking reservations online? You know, are you, are you looking at your customer's journey and your customer's experience and asking the question, have I taken the effort out in every place that I can? And sometimes you have online scheduling if you're a doctor's office and is it easy to use? And sometimes there's a gap in the customer's experience and there's some brand new bright, shiny technology that can solve that problem. But more often than not, it's not about the thing that's news just coming out of an R&D lab. But it's really more about asking, you know, am I really leveraging the stuff, even stuff that's been around for for a decade or more and making the best possible use of it? Absolutely. So if somebody wants to contact you to work with you or find out more, what's the best way for them to reach out to you? So I'm Howard Tiersky. I'm all over social media. I'm, I'm live casting on LinkedIn twice a week. I have a podcast called Winning Digital Customers. And of course, my book, Winning Digital Customers. You can go to the website, winningdigitalcustomers.com if you're interested in learning more about the book, where you can also download the first chapter for free. So if you want to just try it out, of course, you can find the book on Amazon, Apple, Barnes & Noble, and you know wherever books are sold, as they say. As well as, you know, as I say, uh, on the website, you can also learn more about the other kinds of uh, content articles I've published, things like that. Thanks. Howard Tiersky, the book is Winning Digital Customers. Thank you so much for being on the show today. Oh, Matt, thank you. It's been a great conversation. Yeah, thanks. You're a wealth of knowledge. I'm sure it's going to be helpful for everybody in uh, transforming their business to the digital era and, and trying to trying to get in front of those digital customers. Thanks again. This has been Digital Marketing Masters with Matt and Carrie Rouse. For notes and a transcript of this episode, go to hookseo.com forward slash podcast. Join us next week as we dive into more tips and ideas to grow your business. Digital Marketing Masters is brought to you by Hook SEO Digital Marketing. Our show is produced by Matthew Rouse and Scott Burson. Mixed and edited by Silent Outburst Productions. I'm your announcer, Daniel D. Craig. We would love to hear your thoughts. Please leave us an honest review with your podcast provider. Your reviews help us help more business leaders just like you.